Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. And with me as we turn to the reading of the Word, and I was told by Cheryl Kalen that I didn't pray for you, and I'm praying for you, but I want you to come up, and when I'm done, when I'm done, the prayer, the, the reading, I'm going to pray for you. But come on up here while we read, would you? Okay, stand by me. I know, this is awkward, but I don't want to neglect you, all right? Is, is that okay? Okay, thank you. So, our passage this morning is Matthew 13, 44 through 52. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls. And upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. When it was filled, they drew it up on the beach. And they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. Jesus said to them, therefore, every scribe who has become a disciple of the kingdom of heaven is like a head of a household who brings out of his treasure things new and old. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Kaylin. I thank you for her profession of faith. I pray, Father, that you will give her a life that's filled with your glory. Protect her, watch over her, and may she be a leader in her family for you. We thank you for this young lady, and we pray that you'll guide us as we look at your word together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Well, Jesus asks an interesting question at the end of this passage. He asks... Have you understood all these things? And of course they said, yes, we understand. He says, do you understand? Yes, we understand. He had just told these parables. He had just spoken about the kingdom of heaven being like a treasure in a field. He had just spoken about the kingdom of heaven being like a merchant seeking fine pearls. He had just spoken about the kingdom of heaven being like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind and then being drawn up and some being gathered in and some being thrown outside and so we're in the exact same position to these parables as Jesus was and his disciples and those who were listening and and so the question is do you understand these things have you understood them and the answer of course is yes we understand it but the reality is that parables are meant to conceal as well as to reveal and to those who have ears to hear and eyes to see there is understanding, but for many, there is the surface matter of the parable, the, sur- the surface story, but there's a disconnect between the story and the life. And uh, so I'm going to ask you what Jesus asked at the end. We've just read it. Have you understood all these things? Well, yes, you say. But I say, I don't know if I understand it, and I've read this passage all my life, and I'm not sure all, any of us really understands this to the degree that we want to and need to. That this is a deep and, in a sense, a terrible mystery. Because it involves 
life and death, eternal life and eternal death. It involves going into the kingdom of God, and that's heaven. And it involves also those who are taken out and thrown into the furnace of fire. I mean, really, do you understand a furnace of fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth? That there won't be death in this furnace, but it will be eternally weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do any of us comprehend this? No, I don't think we do. So we have to pray and say, God, show us these truths. And I say that this morning. May God allow us to see these truths through his eyes rather than our own, through the the lens of Scripture and what Jesus says rather than the lens of our own imagination so that we are brought somewhere by this instead of just sitting. If there is one thing that's clear in this passage, it's that the kingdom of heaven, in the mind of Christ, in the mind of the one whose name you and I bear as Christians, in the mind of the one who came from heaven to give his life so that we might live on high with him, in the mind of Christ, The kingdom of heaven is a very real place. And it is a very real place right now. Not one day, but here. And there are people very really right now and here pursuing and receiving and entering that kingdom. And there are in Jesus' teaching, in Jesus' view. And after all, he's the judge, right? In his view, there are people who are hearing And perceiving, at least in some way, with the eyes, hearing with the ears, but not getting it and not on their way to this kingdom, actually failing in the pursuit of this kingdom. And there are no other types of people. So we're surrounded by people who are pursuing and living in the kingdom of heaven, and we're surrounded by people this morning who are not, but who have all said, yes, we understand these things. Because honestly, we're all here together, right? And so we all say, yes, we understand. Yes, we understand. But some don't. Same with Jesus and his day. That's the way it is today. So we have three parables. Each has something in common with the rest. Each has something that's kind of unique to itself. All three are common in being parables about the kingdom of heaven. Every one of them. They speak about the kingdom of heaven. All three are begun by Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like. It's a... It's a simile, a parable, an illustration, an analogy, a metaphor. It tells us about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this. All three are about it. And what's clear in all three of the parables is that Jesus expects that there will be people entering and people not entering the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus expects his followers to pay a real price to enter the kingdom of heaven. Can, you, can, you, can we put it more baldly or bluntly than you need to be paying? You need to be giving everything. You need to be devoting to the kingdom of heaven everything you are, everything you have if you are to enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that right on the face of it what he's saying? Isn't that clear? Now, I don't see a lot of heads nodding. And I think the reason that our heads are not nodding is that we say, whoa, that's a high standard. Whoa, you know, am I really committing all that I have? Am I really giving all that I possess to the kingdom of heaven? Am I really 
willing to have my entire life be the kingdom of heaven? So it's interesting that the first two parables are distinct from the third in this way, that the first two speak about what we're to do to receive the kingdom of heaven, and the third one tells us what happens if we don't do it, right? The third one is, is the kicker at the end. It's sort of the backstop to the first two, okay? Number one, get the field. Number two, get the pearl. Number three, and if you don't, this is what happens. So the, you know, it's, it's like the catalyst, the third one, that takes the original solution and makes it go wham. Because if we don't, there is a consequence. If we do, there's a consequence. If we don't, there is a consequence. And so having our minds sharpened by parable three, I want us to look at the first two parables. And the first thing I want to say about the kingdom of heaven is that it's real. It is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid again and from joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that. It is a real kingdom. And yet, the irony is that almost all of us treat heaven as though it's not quite real. As though it's not right here, but maybe there. As though it's not right now, but maybe tomorrow. But the one thing we can't deny is that Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is here. It has come upon you. What did he begin his ministry by saying? He went out and he taught. The kingdom of heaven has come upon you. It is here and you are either in it or outside it. That was the message that he declared. It remains the message he declares. The kingdom of heaven is real. And I say this to you. Because we have taken a step back from the reality of the kingdom of heaven. I think it's common to all men across all times. But we've taken a step back and we've said that the kingdom of heaven is an idea. It is a glorious story. It may one day come to pass. It is, it is real, but it's not real. We have come to view the kingdom of heaven as being, in some respects... The, the kind of thing, but it's real, okay, but not here real, but real. The kind of thing that a Disney movie is with the, the redemption of a Disney movie. You know, the bad guy suddenly sees something and, oh, oh, wrong, wrong. Suddenly, now he goes from being the bad guy and he's now the good guy and everybody cheers for him because he went by realizing something from one place to another. So it's that kind of, it has that kind of redemption. It has the, uh, the glories of a, of a Cinderella story. Here you are. You're just, a, well, you're a, a washer girl, you know. You're, no one knows you're a real true princess. And you go through life, and you go through life. And someday, somehow, someone recognizes what you really are. And suddenly you flower, and you're beautiful, and everyone knows it. This is the kingdom of heaven. But of course, it's real, but it's, it's future? Is it really happening right now in our lives? Are we be, being seen by the world as sons and daughters of the most high of glory? Uh, I don't know that any of us really 
think that is going on in our lives right now. So let me say in the beginning that the kingdom of heaven is as real as the United States. It is. It's every bit as real, and in fact, it's more real because there's no lying in the kingdom of heaven. The United States is built and has developed on a course that had truth, but it's often filled with lies. There's a lot that's false about the United States, right? I'm, let me not be thought of as making political statements here, okay? I'm really just trying to prod you a little bit. But, you know, we have in New York Harbor the, the Statue of Liberty. And on the base of the statue it says, give me your weary, right? Give me your what? Anyone know that poem? Anyone here been up in the Statue of Liberty? Three of us. <laughs> give us your weary, give us your tired, give us your poor, right? You know that poem? And it's a, it's a great poem. And really it was true of the United States for several centuries. But now, we, and I'm not making a political statement here. I'm just saying the truth is we have on our border 100,000 people who are coming from places like Honduras. And we don't know that we want them. We say we want them, but the reality is the Statue of Liberty is not telling the truth. Now, the United States is a real country. It's a real empire. 100,000 people down on the Mexican border wanting to get across. I was reading an NPR story the other day, and I know you're convinced I'm making a political statement now, but I'm not. I was reading an NPR story about the the crowds on the southern border right now. Tens of thousands down there seeking to get across, to come into it. Because that's what you do when you grew up in Honduras, when you grew up in poverty, when you grew up without a hope. You go somewhere where it will be better. You give everything. And so there was in this story a young woman, a young mother, interviewed with a daughter on her hip and a teenage daughter named Delicia Mejia who fled Honduras together with her daughters was among that 100,000. They'd been staying in Monterey, Mexico for the past year. Then a couple of weeks ago with President Biden in charge, they hopped a bus to Reynosa, a border town where they're waiting for an opportunity to cross into Hidalgo, Texas. She says, this is the faith we have before God. We know that Joe Biden is a good person who has made a good government. And she really knows nothing about President Biden. She knows nothing about the U.S. government. She just knows that the United States is a better place than Honduras. And she has left everything she has to enter this nation for the chance. Jesus says, give up everything to enter the kingdom of God. There are people doing this in the United States. People on our border. Are we willing to give up everything? It's not merely a matter of willingness. Have we given up? Have we said, God, not my will, not my money, not my children, not my family, not mine at all, yours, and you do with it what you will, because I want you, and I want you more than I want anything in life and so I'll stand on the border of heaven like that lady from Honduras down on the 
on the Rio Grande. I'll stand on the border of heaven. And I'll say, God, I've thrown it all away. Take me in. I've given it all up. Now, I want to say something about each of the parables this morning. The first is the parable of the, of the, the treasure that's hidden in a field. This is a parable of heaven, and it's distinct from the others. I mean, it really is so much like the second that the differences between it and the parable of the pearl are, are worth noting and commenting on. And what is striking here in this first parable that Jesus tells is that it's unlike the second parable in, a, in several major ways. First, this man, he's walking. He discovers in a field a, a great treasure, a hidden treasure. And he says, whoa. But he doesn't steal it. And he doesn't run away with it. There are rules about how you gain a hidden treasure, right? So he doesn't steal the hidden treasure. He does not run away in the night with the treasure. He takes it and buries it again. Then he goes home. And having gained some time by having hidden it, he gathers all his resources. He marshals all he has so that he can buy the container, which is the field. Having bought the field, he is rightfully the owner of what is in the field, and he gains the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is the story of your life. You don't buy the kingdom of heaven. What you do is you give your money, you give your life, you give whatever you have to something, and you gain the kingdom of heaven along with it. So... The Cornelius of Acts, the, the centurion to whom Peter was sent with the gospel, the first Gentile believer, the first missionary trip to Cornelius, Cornelius is told by the angel who comes to him that your prayers have ascended and the good you've done, the gifts you've given to the poor have come before God and God is now wanting you to know more. You understand this? So he hasn't given money directly to say, I'm buying the kingdom of heaven. He's buying a field, and in that field is the kingdom of heaven. You're never going to be asked to give up everything you have and to sign over your bank account to the kingdom of heaven. It's going to be the situations that come up in your life where you are called to sacrifice, where you will be buying the field that contains the treasure. Does this make sense? Don't think that it's a simple equation of, oh, there's a sign. I can buy the kingdom. I'm going to buy heaven. It's not that simple. Jesus says to those who he accepts, those who are not cast into the burning fire, he says, you know what? You did things for me because you helped the poor. You visited the sick. You were with the prisoner in his distress. You did these things. And by doing these things, you did it to me. You buy the field. You don't buy the treasure. Am I making sense? Don't think that you can say, well, I haven't had a chance to buy the treasure yet. I'm waiting, you know? No, every poor person who's had a need is your chance to buy the kingdom of heaven. 
Every time you've stood for God in your family, when your family is saying, and you've said, no, I'm doing it, whether it's having children, whether it's disciplining your children, whether it's going to church and doing things that your family looks down on, every one of these steps, you're giving up everything for the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, if you don't give up your worries, if you don't give up your money, if you don't give up your family, you're not worthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. So you give up your worries. Every worry you don't worry about, you're buying the kingdom of heaven. Every time you say to God, I'll follow you, and I don't care that my wife is not on board, I'm going to follow you. As for me, I'm following God, and my house will follow me, I hope, but I am following God. That is buying the field. That is giving all you have to enter the kingdom of heaven. Every time you help someone, every time you say of your fancy home, no, it can be used for the college group. I don't care if the floor gets scratched up. I don't care what happens to the walls. This is God's house. You're buying the field of the kingdom. Now, that's the first thing. This man sees the glory in the field, and to him, it's real, and to no one else. So you're going to be doing these things without other people recognizing what you're doing. They're not going to say, oh, look, look, it's a wonderful thing you're doing. No, they're going to say to you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? What do you think is so fancy about this field? Why do you keep on giving alms to the poor? Why do you keep on doing these things? Don't you know better than, aren't you aware that there are solutions to pregnancy? <laughs> Don't you know that? That there's birth control, woman? You know, as your parents say this to you, as the world says this to you, they're not seeing the field. You're saying, hey, I see the field. As you, as a husband, say, I'm not going for the chief job and the chief amount of money. I'm going for a job where I'll be able to raise my children to know God. The world's saying, what are you doing? Don't you know that money is the path to bringing your children up well? They're not going to go to Stanford if you don't make money. So this man sees the glory in the field. No one else does. Second, he's willing to sell everything he has to gain it. He will sell all. You know as you look around this room that there are certain people who have sold all for the kingdom. They would give anything. They would do anything. They don't own their homes. They don't own their bank accounts. They don't own their lives. They don't own themselves. They don't say, this is my time, this is my world. They don't own. They've given all, and some have not. Some have erected very rigid walls. Well, I will do this now, and I will do that then, but don't you infringe upon my freedom. Don't you expect me to do that. I have my life. It's not the path that gains the field, that gains the field with the treasure. Third, this man is unique in one particular way, and this is a way I want to hit you and hit you with, because I don't have much time, so I'm going to hit you with a few things before we're done. Look at what this man does. This man finds the treasure. Now, he doesn't steal the treasure, which would be unethical and wrong and sinful, right? But he goes and he sells all he has, and he buys the field. What does he do between buying the field and leaving? And leaving it earlier when he left the field. What does he do? No, that's not right. Between finding the treasure and buying it. Do you remember? I'm not hearing it. He buries it. Is that you, Micah? He buries the treasure. 
Why does he bury the treasure? What do you think about a man who finds something at, a, at an estate sale? He looks at it. He says, whoa, they've got $4 on this thing, and it's a Ming Dynasty bowl. It's worth a million dollars. Who pays the $4 and says, huh, I got it. Well, if you own that Ming Dynasty bull, you say you're a slimy guy. Right? You say, you should have told me it was worth a million, then I wouldn't have sold it. Right? But Jesus says this guy hit it. He put it back in the ground. Went and sold everything he had and came back. This man was going to get that field. He was going to get that treasure. He would do it ethically. But he was going to get it. We find this so often in scripture and in the teaching of Jesus himself. Jesus does not present the gaining of heaven and its kingdom as something that you get by keeping your hands soft and clean and your reputation perfect and every man speaking good of you. It doesn't come that way. You get the kingdom of heaven by being a hard man, a ruthless woman, a person who says, I don't care, I will get God. There is one point where selfishness is essential in life. And that is at this point. I used to go to a camp, and I've told the story before, where they, would, where they emphasized swimming safety. And they taught the Royal Canadian life-saving course. And there were several life-saving degrees. You started with bronze, silver, gold life-saving. If you're a gold life-saver, you could swim from Iceland to Greenland and save someone. It was that hard. I was put in the course, and I didn't realize how it worked. I was put into it as a... 15-year-old, I think, and uh, counselor in training. And I went out to the dock. They said, no, you're not going to be in. The, you've passed everything. Go on to the life-saving. So I go to the life-saving course, and the, uh, the guy who was leading it, this big husky counselor, says, all right, everyone into the lake. We jump in the lake, and he says, now kill her. I'm going, what's this? Next thing I know, there's uh, one of the guys in the course has me by the shoulders and the hair and is holding me underwater. And I'm going, what is, I had no idea. They hadn't explained it to me. And I'm, I'm underwater, and really, I started to swallow water. And fortunately, the, the guy who was leading the course saw that I wasn't coming up. And he blew the whistle and said, let him up. I mean, that, <laughs> I did pass the course, but that scarred me for life. And uh, I'll never forget that moment underwater. And what was the point of it? Well, the point of it was hold someone underwater. Hold them underwater and see if he can get out. I hadn't been told that you were allowed to knee the guy between the legs. You could do anything you wanted to get out from water, and you'd better do it. So I just sat there and went glug, 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 you know. Felt like Jonah, the seaweeds gathering about my legs, and I was seeing heaven. Suddenly I'm up. Well, why do they do that course? Why do they play killer? It's to teach you. That you're no good to anyone if you're dead yourself. 
You are no good to anyone if you don't enter the kingdom first yourself. Make sure you enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is very clear about this. He tells the story of a shrewd manager who has the debtors of his master come in. He knows that his master is going to dismiss him. He's displeased with him, so he brings the debtors in. He says, here, you owe 100, make it 50. He does it through all the debtors. And then his master commends him and says, you're shrewd. And then Jesus says to, to the people who are listening to the parable, this man is shrewder. The children of the world are shrewder than you are. Use the dirty money of this world to gain friends in heaven. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Use your money, like Cornelius, to buy the field so that God says to you, I give you the treasure in the field. And it's unethical. Actually, the man has the right to do this. It would seem wrong, but Jesus says he did it. Jesus says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence. Violent men take it by force. Violent men. Men who say, I'm going to get that field, and I'm going to get that treasure. Violent men. Are you an aggressive man for the kingdom of heaven? friend was telling me this week, he was listening to a, a, a podcast where, on Jacob and how Jacob schemes to get the birthright. Now, he'd been promised that he would be the, the eldest. His mother had been told at his birth when he and, and Esau were born that the older would serve the younger. And so, in a sense, the birthright was predicted or told to be his by God at the outset at the birth. But when it came time and he had the chance to sell his brother a bowl of porridge in return for his brother's birthright? Did he cavil? Did he say, oh, no, he went for it. He went for it and he got it. Now, is that a bad story? Don't confuse that with his tricking his father at the end for the blessing. Is that a bad story? It's bad about Esau, isn't it? The Bible says so in the New Testament. Is it bad about Jacob? No, he's going to get it. You see that character in him throughout his life, end of his life, well, not the end, but midpoint of his life. He's coming back from having gotten two brides, gotten wealthy, and he's by himself waiting to meet up again with Esau, and, and in the night God comes down, and he's wrestling with him. He doesn't know it's God. And he starts wrestling, but as the wrestling match goes on, he says, he realizes he's dealing with something much bigger than himself. And he knows he's wrestling God. And so he continues to wrestle. And he wrestles and he wrestles. And the man says, let me go. God says. And he says, I won't let you go until you bless me. Where are you wrestling God? How do your prayers express this thought? I'm wrestling God. I'm wrestling God. I must have God. I will have it, God. You think Jesus didn't pray like this when he was sweating blood in the Garden of Eden with his father? You think Abraham didn't pray like this when he took his son to the mountaintop and said, all right, God, I'll give you my son, but I know you can raise him. I know you can raise him. I know you'll raise him. You've given me promises. Aggression. Aggression for the kingdom. It's right here. I want to move on to the second story. The second parable. I know we're getting short of time. The second one is the man who sells everything for a pearl. 
Now, what's going on here? It's not a hidden value, is it? This man sees the pearl, and he sees it as a pearl of infinite price, and it's on sale. It's public sale. And he says, wow, I must have that pearl. I need that pearl. I want the pearl. I want the pearl. You know, he has to have the pearl. And so he goes back, he sells everything he has, comes, buys the pearl, goes home rejoicing. He got the pearl. He's happy. But you know what? <laughs> he goes home with that pearl and he goes home to his wife and he says, I got the pearl. And she says, yeah, you sold our house. What are you doing, you fool? You sold a house. You sold our bank account. You sold the cars. You sold everything for a pearl. We can't eat a pearl. He goes, yeah, honey, I know we can't eat a pearl, but isn't it quite a pearl? And this is you, isn't it? Everyone around you is saying, what, a pearl? The kingdom of heaven, you're giving up everything for this ethereal idea? And you say, yeah, everything. I need the pearl. I must have that pearl. You know, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian starts on his journey and he's starting to see the reality of God. And John Bunyan writes, he's telling it as though he's seeing this pilgrim whose name is Christian. He's seeing it in a dream. He says, so I saw in my dream that the man began to run. He'd been told by the evangelist of the city of God. So he begins to run. Now he had not run far from his own door, but his wife and his children perceiving it began to cry after him, return. But the man, he put his fingers in his ears and he ran on crying, life, life, eternal life. So he looked not behind him, but fled towards the middle of the plain. The neighbors also came out to see him run. And as he ran, some mocked, others threatened. Some cried after him, come on back. He's going to buy a pearl. He's leaving everything behind. And they're saying, you don't need the pearl. You need to do these other things. You don't need the pearl. Okay. I could think of a thousand different ways to illustrate this. But let me say to you, you're, you have a job, and in your job, you're not allowed to speak about Jesus. And if you say certain things that are true, you'll be fired. And you face the reality. Do I sell everything to gain heaven, or do I compromise? Which do you do? Well, if you're a, a violent, aggressive pursuer of the kingdom of heaven, there's no question what you do. The kingdom is worth absolutely everything. He sees the pearl, he's, and he goes for it. So I say to you, are you willing to pay the price of the kingdom? Women, I spoke about your worries. God says your worries are evil. He commands you not to worry. And yet you found, many of you, that you can control to a certain degree your world by expressing your worries and making your worries the worries of your children, your husband, everyone around you. And you have managed to control the world by your worries, your fears. Now you really don't control the world by your fears, but what you do is you control other people by your fears. Because you don't keep things at bay by fear. Even your children whose, whose lives you've constrained by all the fears you have about them, even they will sneak around behind your back one day and do the things that you feared they'd do. 
And so Jesus says that you're not to fear. The Bible says be a daughter of Sarah who doesn't fear. He calls you to give up your fears. You understand that your fears are the constraining influence in many lives. Constraining your children, your husband, not to run for the kingdom of God. These fears you have are deadly. Do you understand this? Do you understand, men, that you cannot serve both God and money? Jesus says clearly, so then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. He didn't say that to the rich young ruler. He says it to everyone. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Does that mean we go and sell all we have? It may. There's no respect for poverty today. None. The Bible respects the poor. We look on the poor and we mock them. The Bible says those who mock the poor will pay. So, in one sense, yes. In another sense, what the Bible is saying to us and what Jesus is calling for us to do is say, look, God, whatever you want, I give it to you. I give it to you. You can have it. Because God, if he wants it, is going to take it anyway. He's going to take it. He's going to send something, if you don't give him your money, that's going to rip it from your hands. And he's going to make it turn into ashes in your pocket, in your bank account, that you live for and that ruins your family. Because when you die, because money was so important to you, all your kids are going to be fighting, standing at the grave like I've seen so many times as a pastor where they aren't even willing to look at each other because they're so angry about money. The children, the heirs. What about family? Jesus says, and he says it very clearly. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. When your children will not obey God, will you require obedience? When your adult children try to convince you that you're being stupid and rigid, will you give in or will you trust God? When the guy you're dating wants you sexually and you fear losing him because he might not want you anymore if you deny him, do you give in? When your wife will not listen and by her worries seeks to trump the faith and the obedience that you know you owe God, will you listen to her or will you run like Christian and say, life, life, I must have life. And at that point, and only that point, be the most selfish person on earth, the most aggressive person on earth. No, the kingdom comes first. Some years ago, I liked reading this story, or this little letter, and I'm going to read it again. Probably 20 times in my life I've read it. Elizabeth Elliot, the the wife of a man who gave his life going to mission, as a missionary to South American natives. The year that her husband died was the year that my older brother died of leukemia at the age of five. She wrote my parents and said, 
My morning reading yesterday fell in Hebrews 12, verse 10, came with fresh force in the Revised Standard Version. He disciplines for us, for our good, that we may share his holiness. There are times we are tempted to say anything but that, Lord. Then he must out of necessity say anything but my holiness then. Is any price too great to pay if we may share his holiness? Can I put it this way? Is any price too great to pay if we may share his kingdom? From my heart, she writes, I say, even the loss of Jim is not too great if he will allow me this, and I will have nothing less. So I know you too rest in his will, which is forever good and acceptable and perfect. God is no man's debtor. Give to the kingdom and you will receive a kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the way that it comes into our lives and shakes us up. And I pray that we've been shaken by this passage, by these parables of Jesus. May we not say blithely and quickly, yes, we've understood these things. But may we actually understand them. May we be transformed by what we understand. May we all, every life here, Father, become the life of a child of yours. Gain the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.